Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith. Welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Thanks for having me back. It's always good fun. Today we're talking global equities. We're talking global shares and we're talking funds. Uh, we are talking about ETFs. We're also going to talk about some managed funds and there are some thematic ETFs in the mix here. Um, I don't think I have a position in these ETFs as at the time of recording, but um, yeah, we're going to talk about these these funds. You can refer to their websites for more information. And uh, basically the idea, Drew, is just that if you're trying to get global exposure from Australia and you want to do it through a fund rather than go through direct equities, which, you know, if you know what you're doing, sure. Uh, if not, this is an easy way to do it. Uh, do you invest in global equities just straight up like yourself? Uh, we do a little bit with the help of a platform. So we probably, you probably remember talking about Hub24 yeah. previously. So some platforms offer the ability to hold ASX and US and other listed shares next to each other. So there are a few sophisticated clients that we would go and buy, you know, Apple, Amazon, Google directly. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, because one of the ETFs, why don't we just dive straight into it, is FANG. Yep. F-A-N-G is the ticket symbol. Uh, it's from uh, GlobalX, which is the... Uh, name for ETF securities that was here, but GlobalX has an established business overseas and it's expanded down under. Um, the FANG ETF or the FANG Plus ETF, if I'm not mistaken. I had to rename it, didn't I? Yeah. Yep. It's because um, it's got more than just Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. It's got Tesla. It's got a few of the, um, the names from Asia as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which they probably wish they didn't at the moment. Yeah, at the moment, <laughs> yeah. the last few years or so. I mean, it kind of, we, I don't think we're going to do IVV or S&P 500 this time. Yeah. But we, I think the way we kind of think about it is you can get your core incredibly cheap. You can, I think we've talked about it before. You can pay four basis points to get an average return. Yeah. So when you're looking to add ETFs and build a portfolio around that, it's, it's finding things that are truly different and provide a really kind of true to label exposure. Mm. Um, I mean, FANG hasn't performed the best uh, naturally in, in the yeah. last few years. Uh, but yeah, as you said, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it holds 10 stocks essentially equally weighted and they're pretty much restricted to communications, consumer discretionary, and IT, which really is where every fast-growing or yeah. large technology business, and you you really have to be 
significant, you know, probably over 300, well, at least over $100 billion market cap to even be yeah. considered for the, for the FANG Plus ETF. Yeah, you've got Microsoft was the most recent addition in there. It's a 9.8% holding at the time of recording. They're yep. all about 10%. Um, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook slash Meta, that's probably going to be the one that's closest to getting cut. Um, NVIDIA, Alibaba, Netflix, Tesla, Baidu, Apple. Um, yeah, the I think Microsoft took the position of... Uh, Twitter, but just to recap on what you said there, like if, you, if you're getting global exposure, you're getting US exposure, you probably want to do that through two ETFs uh, in particular that I know of, which is the IVV ETF, the S&P 500, yep. um, or the VGS ETF, which is the Vanguard Global, Miski uh, Global. So those two are probably the way to go. The key difference being that VGS is truly global, whereas IVV is just US. Keeping in mind, I saw an interesting stat the other day that of the S&P 500 companies, I think around about 30% of their revenue overall comes from outside the United States. Yeah. So in terms of revenue diversification, an S&P 500 ETF does have that. It's actually quite high, yeah, yeah. yeah. More so, than many many people think. Yeah, so you can actually have the kind of simplicity of a US-based ETF or list, uh, listing and the kind of governance structure of those companies, but have global exposure through that investment, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so in a portfolio, you've got FANG Plus, if we switch back to this from GlobalX. Uh, how have you used it in the past? Just like a tactical exposure to tech? Yeah, I think there's two ways to play it. You can play it with the view of a theme. So the whole idea of this ETF is, as they'll say, investing in the most disruptive macro trends, tech advancements and changing demographics, yeah. consumer preferences. Uh, so you can play it two ways. You just buy it alongside your S&P 500. It's a bit more expensive, 35 basis points or 0.35%. Mm -hmm. And it gives you an allocation to some of the world's or the world's biggest companies, the ones that are still growing. You know, even the share, even though the share price has, has fallen, Apple's still growing at 15, 20% yeah. a quarter. Um, or alternatively, you can use it as a momentum play uh, for people who are more interested in the kind of trading or more tactical positions where, you know, the, the I think it's, I haven't got the performance here, but if it's down 15 or 20% and you think tech's undervalued, you can buy Fang whole for two years and potentially make yeah. up a, a solid return over that period if, if you get the timing right. So I think that's what a lot of ETFs are used for. A lot of people put them away as a an thematic and a tilt in their portfolio. So that'd be more of a tactical mm. asset allocation tilt. And a lot of, uh, there's also quite a few people that just buy into and out of them. Yeah, yeah, they do. And particularly an ETF like this, whereas you might be inclined to just have, I don't know, with that, that, those other ETFs, which I mentioned before, those are kind of your bottom draw, but these ones, yeah, these are the more tactical exposures. And to be honest, like I was actually thinking about the FANG ETF about six months ago, thinking that it, with all the, the pricing power of these guys, it seems like, I'm not going to say inflation hedge, but it's actually a good way to profit in any market environment because they're always going to do well. Like a lot of these companies are the backbones of the internet, whether it's in Asia or whether it's in throughout the rest of the world. Um, I mean, Netflix, you could probably say is under pressure. I mean, Facebook too, but for the most part, they're still... Apple, Google. Well, we kind of see them as utilities. It's almost a utility ETF because yeah, most of these companies like Apple dominates handsets and software. Uh, Alibaba dominates commerce. Everything there dominates the sector it's in. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk saying that they're not they're called consumer discretionary, but most of these are utilities and they're used every day by everyone. You know, as soon mm. as you're searching for a stock code, you're going to go straight onto Google. So yeah, true. Um, we tend to just have this within portfolios as a as a quality 
less so than a tech tilt. Yeah, it's interesting because that's the way it's interesting the way you talk about utilities. I'm just Googling the, I can't remember the latest numbers on the um, who controls the most of the public cloud infrastructure. I think it's AWS and Azure, but I just want to know exactly because, yeah, so AWS is 34% of the public cloud. Yeah. Uh, Azure is 21. Google Cloud, 10%. Alibaba, 5. IBM, 4. So basically, you're getting the top four, which means you're getting nearly 70% of the cloud market in this ETF. Yeah, so which is a, growing 30% a quarter. Yeah, and it's, uh, and they're big, like this is these are big TAMs, just in that, if you think about it, just that way alone. So for the most part, yeah, super tactical, pushing into in, into cloud, into so many different thematics, communication, payments, it's all in there. It will be volatile, obviously, 10 holdings, 10%. Yeah, we uh, make it age. equal weight. I like it. I mean, if you're going to, it becomes too active if you start trying to say fangs 15% or, you know, different stocks are 15%. So yeah. as long as you know what you're getting into, it's narrow, it'll be volatile. And obviously bond yields have had an impact on tech in general. So it will mm. it will kind of trend in, in different directions at different times. But yeah, I think it's a solid holding. We've got it in, in our light or our ETF model portfolio that we manage as well. Yeah, right. 200 17 million dollars invested in it so far it's just a really simple etf yeah does what it says yeah cool um okay so that's from global x we've got a few other names here one i might throw out uh which is the fmex i say etf but it's a active fund um listed on the stock exchange here in australia uh, fidelity emerging markets etf uh, slash fund i'll just refer to it as fund uh from now on but um they're 40 to 50 positions, um, it's very slight tilt to, um, you know, I guess away from different parts of the broad-based Chinese and Asian markets where you would expect it. When I say subtle tilt, we're talking like 1% or 2% trimmed away from the index. So um, they do a pretty good job of just unearthing good companies, but maybe just like underweighting some of the positions. So... Um, Biggest positions in the FMEX ETF include Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, HDFC, uh, AIA Group, Li Nang, Bank Central Asia, Infosys, and Tektronic. Those are just some of the names. Um, managed out of London and Asia in terms of the two portfolio managers on this fund. Uh, I do tend to prefer active exposure to emerging markets. Yeah. Um, I just... Something that I've kind of emphasized for a little while now is just that overall um, there can be a value add in these opaque markets and somewhat, you know, uh, slightly differentiated in terms of the regulatory environment. And the benchmarks are dominated by just a couple of companies as well. Yeah. So you would have had like 11 or 12% in Alibaba, whereas yeah. this one's biggest holding is 5%. Yeah, they can take, um, they could have, I guess, a, a view on that. So um, we have Femex. Um, really interesting ETF. They did lose their portfolio manager, Alex Duffy, not too long ago, um, which was a bit of a shock to a few folks. But for the most part, super, like lots of depth at Fidelity. They're not just, you know, beholden to necessarily any one investor. But um, I'll just get up the top overweight and underweight positions. So top overweight, um, AA Group, Lenang, um, all uh, basically underrepresented in the index, but in the fund about 4%. Things that are in the index that are not in the fund. So we've got JD.com, China Construction Bank, which we know there's a few issues going on with Chinese 
property <laughs> construction <laughs> and property development at the moment. Uh, Samsung is only 2.8% of the fund, 3.8% in the index. Reliance Industries, 0% of the fund at 1.6%. So this is what we want to see. We want to see active bets. We don't just want a fund that's, um, you know, just doing what the VGE, which is the passive version of uh, emerging markets could do. Which is highly concentrated. Yeah. We kind of prefer an, an Asia-specific tilt, but I think this, I mean, there's not much outside of Asia in this one anyway. No. We've always, the risk probably more so before Russia yeah. uh, and Ukraine because Russia and some of these other countries have been sneaking up within portfolios and we think the growth similar to this is India and China particularly yeah. is where yeah. there's huge opportunity. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and agreed. Yeah. And I mean, there's like 5% in Brazil. Yeah. So uh, you get a little bit in those kind of- Mercado Libre probably. Yeah, it's probably Mercado Libre. I don't know what else. What was the other? The other big uh, marketplace down there. Uh, South Africa's got 4%, um, maybe NASPAS or something like that. <laughs> it's interesting the quality of the companies too. You think emerging markets, you'll have you know, maybe lesser quality companies, but you know, Lee Ning's one of the biggest, becoming one of the biggest apparel brands in the mm. world. Um, HDFC Bank's massive bank in India. Taiwan Semiconductor is like the most one of the most important semiconductor companies in the world. Yeah. So it's not you're not buying. It's not junk. rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I saw I won't name names, but I saw an asset allocator. That's how I'll put it. <laughs> I saw an asset allocator with in their high growth portfolio. I think they had like twenty five, maybe thirty percent in emerging markets. Yeah. Too high. Too low. Depends on your risk profile. This was like yeah. a. Uh, this was like their. I wouldn't say That's like pretty high aggressive. growth, but it's like growth. It yeah. Basically, they switched out global equities. So glo at, the way they bucket is global equities is a smaller part than emerging markets. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the data at the moment would yeah, tell you that emerging markets have the best risk reward profile because they've fallen so far and yeah. they're significantly cheaper and the economic settings appear better than everywhere else. But we're, I mean, I've probably spoken about it before. Our approach is very much based on investing for multiple outcomes. If you're putting 35% into emerging markets, you're putting a fair bit of confidence that that those economies will perform significantly better. If, you get, if you're wrong, you know, mm. that's capital that could be at risk. That's what we, the way we try to think about it. So don't, don't okay. bet too much in any direction. Okay. So this is just, you don't know who this is, but- It wasn't he, me, was it? No, no, no. <laughs> So here's the here's the strategy. It's like super high growth, right? It's got uh, around about eighty percent growth assets. It's not super high growth. It's just high growth, right? It's about fifty percent Aussie shares. This is the mix. It's got about just looking at the pie charts, speculating here. Twenty uh, percent emerging markets, and then in terms of the global equities, it's probably like eight percent, if that. Maybe yeah. maybe five percent. So we've got. 20% emerging markets and maybe 5% global equities. It's a pretty big tactical bet. That's pretty big, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not sure what you... Usually you have an SAA range or a strategic asset allocation range. Not for this one. And it would seem that 8% to the... You know, global equities, you're talking about the biggest markets and businesses in the world. So to have 8% seems... You're setting me up on this one, aren't you? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not at all. I'm going to a phone call. <laughs> this is, you're, doing, you're doing really well. No, I'm just legit saying that this is... Um, I feel like that's too much in emerging markets, to be honest. I just feel like you can optimize a portfolio for maximum growth, but you've got to think of the risk reward as well. Like yeah. you said, in terms of like alternate outcomes, that you could look like a genius if you put it all in that. Yeah. But I feel like that's too much. I feel like it's too much. Anyway, 
next one, Nanook. Yes. Tell us about this. Named after the polar bear, I believe. Uh, <laughs> really? So it's probably the similar structure to, uh, was it FMEX you were talking about? Yeah. Where it's a dual dual traded, yeah, so you can bear. trade as a, as a managed fund. I don't make things up. Yeah. Um, not all the time. Uh, where you can trade as an ASX listed stock and you can also trade as the fund and you convert your units from the fund, from an unlisted fund into the stock when if you want to sell ah. that way as well. I don't think you can convert them back, but you can div- convert oh, them one way. right, okay. Well, makes sense. An ETM, ETMF, I think is what they call it. Yeah. Uh, this is a group with kind of, so active manager, long only global equities. We've kind of, we've used them for quite a, quite a while. So model partners is... Uh, B Corp pending another uh, evaluation at the moment. <laughs> Make sure I put that in there. Uh, so we're very much focused on you know investing more sustainably and the concept of ESG, which I'm sure you've covered as well. Yeah, well, we did it in the uh, masterclass. Yeah, yeah. And this is one that's popped up quite a, quite a while ago. In it, you know, there was kind of a dearth of these kind of uh, sustainable opportunities. So uh, they they'll invest into large and kind of mid cap companies, or with a view to contributing capital to a more sustainable economy so it's businesses that treat the environment social and uh and you know focused on quality governance as well so they split their they got about 600 million under management codes in nuk uh they split their portfolio differently to traditional sectors so it's everything's got sustainable in front of it but um environment efficient industry healthcare cities and infrastructure consumption energy transport so you know things like renewable energy to software that helps uh, companies be more efficient to recycling to better waste and water management. Um, super interesting. It's still, uh, it's one of the holdings in our global equity portfolio at the moment as well. Can I ask, so I'm just going to put on my cynical hat for a second. How do you know something like this? I'm not saying that they are, like I, I don't, I'm, I'm underweight knowledge in terms of Nanook and I need to know because you talk about it a lot. But how do you know that it's, not greenwashing. Like how, well, how that's the constant that? challenge. You need to, what you're looking for when we look for strategies that are focused on sustainability is what are their clear views on certain issues like mm. retail or gambling or all you want is clarity and you want to know exactly what they will and won't invest into. You have to constantly review, which is the biggest challenge. There's no one source of data provider that will tell you it's fine. Um, and the other part is tracking the portfolio. So being able to see what they used to invest in, what in what they invested into today, yep. and hope and making sure they're not, you know, because oil is doing well, they're not going buying into oil companies. Um, That's hard then, because like you look like it's down like say fifteen percent, right? Well, it should be if it's sustainable. Yeah, and that's gone, that was my question. So then you have to back the the manager, right? Yeah, you're backing the essentially backing the story. Yeah, and the companies within it. So the the challenge of ESG and more sustainable businesses has historically been that they're healthcare and technology related because they have less of an impact yeah. generally, which means your portfolio has been tilted to those growth sectors that have been impacted most by rising bond yields and and volatility. So uh, it is a challenge, but that's why you don't you position size it appropriately. So when you're building your portfolio, you might have iShares S and P five hundred in the middle. And then you'll have this as a growth tilt and you'll have a value tilt that offsets it on the other side. Yeah. Portfolio construction is key, not holding individual investments because the kind of performance that can happen. This is really interesting just looking at the latest monthly from August too. And good answer by the way. I like that because a lot of people don't think about... So a lot of people see they knock down 15% year over year and they're like, sell it. Yeah. But that's not like it's... There's an environment when certain things... You have to understand when certain strategies will perform. Yeah. And we... 
want fund managers to be true to label. We don't want them to drift across here and there because then you have to figure out where they go in a portfolio. Yep. But um, Alteryx, Pearson, Nuvasive, Sitara, and Azure Power, like they're some of the key contributors to the fund in August. Um, a lot of those names I haven't heard of. Which is what you want. Yeah. There's a few that you'd know in there, Siemens, Microsoft, yeah. maybe Carl, Garmin. Everyone would know Garmin. Yeah. But the majority, if you're paying a fee to a manager like this, you want to make sure that you're getting something that's different, mm. that you can't just replicate by an index. And occasionally, what's the, I think Howard Marks always says that, um, you know, if you, was it, you, you're never going to outperform the average unless you're willing to be wrong, essentially. Yeah. And you will be wrong at different points of the cycle when you're investing actively. This is true. Um, some really interesting names there. I, by the way, my list wasn't the top 10. It was just some interesting names from August. Uh, so Nanook, it's on the ASX yeah. as well as um, Direct, which is so active, uh, like exchange-traded managed fund, different to an M fund. Yeah. yeah. The M fund, I think, for that closed and converted into the yeah, right. ASX listed, which I think is the future. Like, yeah. surely we should be able to build a whole portfolio of investments via the ASX. Yeah, for sure. Maybe when blockchain comes. But <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think they're doing that anymore. They've <laughs> <laughs> cancelled it. So it, it makes like the chess system's there, all your reporting's done, it goes straight into your, your tax return. It, it seems to be a no-brainer, but... Yeah, well, that's what they tried to do with M funds and didn't work yeah. out. Um, okay, so that's Nanook. Uh, my next one, which is probably not going to be a surprise to people that have listened to the show before, but the Moat ETF... M-O-A-T is the ticker symbol. Um, moat meaning wide wide moat defensive businesses. Um, the idea behind the fund is that Morningstar powers it, Van Eck operates it, and inside the portfolio you will have 40 to 50 names uh, of US companies, US companies being moat, goat being global, <laughs> moat being US. Uh, you have 40 to 50 names of companies that have, in Morningstar's opinion, a wide moat, which is their most favorable moat rating, plus um, the analyst's equity valuation. So there has to be a discount of the valuation to be included in the portfolio. And Morningstar's a naturally value-oriented yeah. group as well. Yeah, like yeah, value quality kind of uh, players like under Pat Dorsey and, and whatever for all those years. But um, yeah, yeah the, the it's basically 100% America. Um, you get a really interesting mix of companies from IT to industrials, healthcare, financials, consumer discretionary in that order. Is it actively? Will you consider it actively? Well, this is the thing. Fully active? I consider it like it's not a thematic ETF because it doesn't just use some weird index, but it doesn't, it's not truly active, but it is active if you just consider the, the research component. So it's kind yeah. of like you take away the portfolio manager and you just have a team of analysts yeah. because it's like very prescriptive, 40 to 50 companies. Why do I say 40 or 50? Because it rebalances twice a year. Yeah. So you can get, it's 40, but you can get changes in that time. Um, so yeah, I would consider it active, but I'd consider it for the price of smart beta. Semi-active, yeah. Yeah, because you get it for 49 basis points, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So um, what you would expect to see, if you just think about the portfolio construction, at least this is what I think, if I didn't know the results, what I would expect to see and hope to see is lower beta than the market because it's got a quality focus like a value quality focus yeah, with lower drawdowns. But I should actually look at the performance. And more momentum probably. Yeah, probably more momentum. Yeah. Um, and, you know, over a very long stretch of time, uh, it has done pretty well. 
It's outperformed tech, even though it's got a fair bit of tech in it, which is good. Yeah. So over so five years, uh, the total return of the fund is 15.66% net of fees, but the S&P 500 is 14.6%. So it's about 100 basis points of alpha, um, slight underperformance of the index because of the fee load, obviously. So over uh, ETF, since the inception of ETF, it's up 14.3% or 14.4% versus the index, S&P 500, 12.4%. Uh, so it's two... 100 points of alpha, if you think of that. Yeah. So that's probably the index that I'd compare it to. Full disclosure, if you do invest in this ETF and just coming off Nanook, if you're looking for ESG, it's probably not the fun because you end up with like Altria and a bunch of like cigarette companies and whatever in there. Um, so keep that in mind. That's that quality ROE filter that probably comes <laughs> that's through. That's it, yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's the Morningstar wide moats, like everyone's still smoking overseas. So um, you I get like- some of those companies in there, but. And they are like the so the staggered reconstitution. Have you seen that? Yeah. So the index is divided into two equally weighted sub portfolios, and then reconstituted and rebalanced semi annually mm. in alternating quarters. That's yeah. a lot of words. Yeah, but it's not just cleaning out. It's not going to be a whole heap of turnover. You're actually trying to reduce exactly. limit turnover. Yeah, exactly. So because what I th- someone from an ex is going to call me up after this, but <laughs> what I think, if I'm not mistaken, it started as an annual rebalance. Yeah, but then you'd have those big turnover events where it was like. All right, here's the like the whale coming in and out, like yeah. You, and whereas with this, it's six monthly portfolios, but they alternate quarters. So like it might be like I don't know June and December, and then you know March and September. Yeah, um, they alternate, and so that way you smooth out. And the one thing that I probably get a little bit, a little bit uneasy with is that there's basically two reasons that the company can be included or excluded from the portfolio. One being value, how cheap is it? It has to be cheap and it has to be wide moat. That's the criteria. Yeah. But I think quite a few of the companies actually get removed when they lose their wide moat rating. Yeah. Now, in theory, Morningstar's wide moat rating is as follows. We believe it should maintain its return on invested capital above its cost of capital for 20 years. Yeah. So I don't know how many, like there shouldn't be that much turnover. Yeah. That, at least for that reason alone. So, anyway, I think it's a really interesting ETF. It does give you the US exposure, so there's going to be overlap. It does give you a slightly differentiated exposure. I quite like it, to be honest. You are taking an active bet with it, though, because otherwise you can just buy the index for five basis points. We like it as well because the overlap is very – it's actually quite small with with the rest of it. You know, the top holdings, Kellogg and Gilead and Boeing and BlackRock and Etsy, you know. yeah. You wouldn't be looking for those companies nah, generally in other not portfolios. Not alongside so. Apple and you know yeah. Microsoft and all that. Yeah. So that's the Moat ETF, M O A T, hybrid between active and passive. Um, and we've got one more each. So your next one, mate, is Hack, H A C K. Yes, beta shares. This is this has gone down that thema- thematic route that was super popular. I think we talked about the royalties one. Yeah. Last week as that got, well. That's that's since launched. Yeah, I saw yeah. some of that come yeah. out. I was in the ASX website today. I mean, I'm always wary with thematics. We've seen how they can swing, you know, swings and roundabouts a lot. Yeah. So, so I'm always wary of being too niche when I'm looking at a theme yeah. and making sure the thematic isn't too narrow. You kind of want a fairly broad thematic so you've got good diversification. And that's that's just the type of clients and portfolios we're, we're managing. So understanding what the index is made up of because these are all driven by essentially custom indexes and if that's a true reflection of the types of companies you want. So Hack, as the name suggests, probably the best named ETF. 
on the market. You can't yeah. get much better than that. Yeah, ACDC is pretty good yeah, too. ACDC is pretty yeah. good. Australian connection. Yeah. Um, cybersecurity. So they've essentially eight, eight, seven or eight sectors, systems, software, communications, equipment. So you're talking about like um, networking and security yeah. within networking, research and consulting. So businesses that help protect uh, other businesses, internet services, aerospace and defense, only a small waiting consulting and then application software. So you'd know... Anyone who runs a business probably know a lot of the companies in there. Okta, I know you. We talked about that yeah, a few Okta, years ago. That was like an, it's like an identification company. Yeah, yeah, it's really securing your identity. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, like uh, Cisco, Palo Alto Networks, CrowdStrike, and uh, Zscaler or Zscaler. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever looked at them, but they have like their um, dollar-based net retention is like one hundred and twenty percent. So is Okta. Yeah, it's like in- insane economics inside these businesses. They just need to scale. Yeah, um, Infosys. Really interesting business. So, really good. I didn't know how big this ETF was. It launched in 2016. 650-ish. Up 650, yeah. That 650 million, that's, this makes it a meaningful ETF. I mean, I study this stuff every month and I this one slipped my radar, but that's a, for a thematic. I think because it's, proper because it's broad and, and it's, you know, the companies in here, you know, we were talking about buying data centers. You could buy the three biggest companies in the world and get 70% of the data center yeah. uh, market. But, Spice. You can't buy CrowdStrike, Cloudflare, Palo Alto directly. You don't know anything about it. So yeah. that that niche, and it's so topical at the moment. So financial advisors are, are under pressure to consider more about cybersecurity. Every company is being hacked in some way. There's phishing attempts, there's scam, online scams yeah. everywhere. So it's super topical. And it it seems to be one of those that makes sense as a, you know, a long-term theme mm. that will remain powerful. Yeah, so Broadcom's the biggest position. Interesting. Um, the fee load on this uh, bad boy is 67 basis points or 0.67%. That's what probably surprises me. Like people have to use this probably as a them- probably as a thematic exposure, meaning that it's it may be in the core of their portfolio or slightly off. Yeah. And um, with such a high fee load, like they're taking an act like pretty big fee for this exposure. Definitely. Um, Beta shares would be very happy with 650 million in there at 67 basis points. Um, over since inception in August 2016, uh, 16.7% per annum. It hasn't been has been pretty good, and it's been a bit more uh, less volatile than yeah than the market uh, the or the Nasdaq year. at least anyway. Over the last year, it's down 11. Um, yeah. Yeah. So pretty darn impressive. What's Moat down over the last year? Six uh, percent. So that's that smaller drawdown, which is nice. Thank you, Moat. Um, so overall, like yeah, I like it. I think there are there are a couple of alternatives, if I'm not mistaken. Off the top of my head, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure there are some alternatives. This is one of the one of the ETFs that I really like from BetaShares. Yeah. The other one, um, obviously NDQ, very simple. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one too. There are a few, but like you just got to pick and choose. I guess is the, the moral of the story there. Cool. Definitely. I like it. Um, my final my final one, um, which is one that we both picked. And then we realized we both picked it. So um, is Qual, so Q-U-A-L, 300 companies from around the globe. They have to meet three criteria, uh, being return on equity. They have to have low financial leverage. So just think like they're not ballooning with debt. And they have to have stable profitability. That just means consistent profits in recent years. So you don't have those kind of accounting anomalies where they just come out of nowhere. Um the challenge of them is they're always backward looking. Yeah. Which is what every active manager will tell you. Yeah, that's it. They'll be like, you, you don't invest looking through the rear view mirror. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, but yeah. point taken. <laughs> but it is a transparent strategy. That's what it does. Half the price as well. Yeah, so I guess if you don't know the performance, Drew, just on those criteria, you've got ROE, you've got low level, uh, low levels of leverage, and you've got stable profits. How would you have expected this ETF to perform? You'd naturally think it probably has more tech, so it might have been a bit volatile. But generally, quality historically has has been probably less of the massive returns that happened during big rallies, but less of the drawdowns as well. So probably a narrower range of outcomes. Yeah. And that's what I would expect too. Over the last year, it's been pretty tough going with negative 15%, but still less than some of those global funds. Um, since inception, 13.77%. Um, Miski World, X Australia, 11.5%. So you're getting, well, that's since inception, just over, it's over five years now. Uh, you're getting... 250 basis points, so 2.5% per annum. And this all counts, right? So uh, top holdings include Microsoft, Apple, J&J, Johnson Johnson, United Health, Meta, NVIDIA, Alphabet, Visa, Nestle. Yeah. So global exposure, you're going to get overlap because 75% in uh, the US and you just heard like Apple's the, like, the biggest position. So you're going to get overlap with the S&P 500. You're going to get overlap with the FANG. How would you how would you use this? I'd probably depends on the portfolio. I mean, the last two or three years, you kind of you look back and you and you go, I mean, no investor wants to buy poor quality companies. I don't think that's, so that's true. Yeah, I'm, every, here, I'm here to buy the crash. Yeah. <laughs> Some do. Me. I mean, it works. I mean, the market, current yeah. market is working beautifully. If you buy coal and you know, yeah. oil and all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> my the. Question, the challenge is always that you know you pay an active manager one point two percent that is looking for quality and probably have a similar should have a similar portfolio, mm. but his, the last few years it's it's been so volatile in terms of returns that this has probably actually performed better than them. So you yeah. think, do I pay an active manager or can I get a quality factor exposure within my portfolio with this? The risk, the challenge we see is when you've got a core and a satellite that this overlaps a lot yeah, with the core. Yeah, it sits between the two, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So we'd probably, and we'd almost see the S&P as being a quality factor on its own because yeah. it's so Mark concentrated. Yeah, large yeah. cap, yeah. But it's, yeah, I think there'd be a, a lot of active managers that underperform the, <laughs> the, <quality. laughs> the factor that they were supposed to be beating. Interestingly enough, uh, the price-earnings ratio of the moat ETF companies is 21 times with a price-to-book ratio of 3.5, yep. so 21 and 3.5, versus 20 and 6 with qual. So that would imply, if you just looked at, just trying to help you um, understand, like in terms of the portfolio uh, analytics, what you're seeing here is you're seeing with qual, you are seeing capital light to businesses than you are with moat. Yep. And you would expect to see that because of the quality focus. You'd expect asset light, profit-rich type companies. Yeah. But those also tend to flex on the downside as well. Definitely. Whereas the hard assets of something like Moat will provide some of that downside uh, for you. So, yeah, I mean, if I was to choose, I'd probably go um, Moat of the two. Uh, although I am I'm quite impartial to the quality factor because I do like the companies that go through it. Yeah. Um, it's got – this is from Vanek, the Qual ETF, by the way. Beta shares have QLTY, which it just launched. 150 companies and slightly cheaper, so a chance to try and cut out <laughs> Vanek. More but, competition, yeah. But if you think about this, there's $2.8 billion in the Qual ETF. 
and that's that's a lot of scratch for a definitely for a factor based fund. Yeah, you know. Um, so I can see why beta shares went after them, but um, I don't know. It's almost like because ETFs are still emerging. What's the overall ETF market? It's 122 million. So if there's 2.8 billion. Oh, 122 billion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, um, and there's there's nearly three in qual. So you're looking yeah. at probably you know two to two point three just in the qual ETF. Yeah. I don't know if that implies like a lot of people that you know maybe seeing this as a half, maybe seeing it as a core position, and some maybe seeing it as a tactical position. I think it could go each way. I think ETFs, or I know ETFs, are very popular with stockbroking. Yeah. industry and the private wealth management teams within there because they give you that kind of quick in and out, not necessarily day trading, but they give you that exposure clearly. Yeah. 2022, a, I want qual. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's it. And I then want you quality. can easily switch. Everyone talks about buying quality when there's volatility. So I know they're quite popular with, with that part of the market. So I would suggest there is a fair bit of trading. That's why volume's reasonably high. Yeah. Um, but I think more and more people, you know, if you're holding a portfolio of direct ASX listed stocks and you're not so comfortable, you know, it's hard to associate and, and get comfortable with the S&P 500. Yeah. You know, you know you're just going to get the index. This might feel like it's going to be less volatile than the alternative. Yeah, at least it's, yeah, at least that's what you, you hope for. Yeah. Um, yeah, over the last year, the S&P 500 down 5.6% versus Qual, like we said, down a fair bit. So um, interesting ETF nonetheless, and one of the biggest ETFs in the country now, Qual. So just to recap, we've got FANG, which is the FANG Plus ETF from GlobalX. Concentrated portfolio of around about 10 names. Nanook, ESG, Global Equities. Um, you can actually use the impact calculator on the website as well. We've got Hack from BD Shares, which we mentioned has a bunch of the cybersecurity companies. Big ETF in its own right. Moat, which blends the Morningstar research with a valuation and uh, just kind of very structured portfolio construction approach. Femex or FMEX, which is the global equities, uh, sorry, Emerging Market Equities ETF from Fidelity. It's been going for a long time, uh, unlisted and listed versions, 40 to 50 positions, 99 basis points, 0.99%. These are all, would be all alongside, we're not advocating to just go and put all your money into these things. <laughs> we're saying, you know, these are probably, for the most part, what, tactical, you know, satellite type positions. And then you've got core global equities, IVV, VGS, other types of funds. I'd be looking at, you know, 10 to 15% exposures within a yeah. uh, a global equity allocation. Yeah. So if your global equity allocation is 30 to 40% for a high-risk investor, maybe it's 30% um, of that. That's what we're talking about. So not the overall portfolio. I don't think 15% straight up in FANG is going <laughs> to... Well, you might wake up at that. <laughs> or emerging markets. Yeah, emerging... Well, you could just put... Like the asset allocator I was talking about. You could just put 20, 25% straight up in emerging markets. Um, Drew Meredith from Wattle Partners Financial Planning. Mate, it's good fun. Good episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us uh, a message via the link on any of the RASC websites. There's an ask a question button at the top there. We've had heaps getting sent in. So we'll do a Q&A. Two cents. Two cents. We'll give, give you our two cents. Um, and if you want to get t in touch with Drew... Financial planning right around Australia, waddlepartners.com.au forward slash contact. Uh, there's links in the show notes and you can hear more from me on Twitter, which is where I get up to most of my mischief. So um, at Owen Rask is the handle there. Drew, thanks for joining me. Thank you.
For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.